electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the fund's investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Bring in show music, please. This is Squawk Pod, and I'm CNBC producer Cameron Costa. Today on our podcast, Vladimir Putin ordered troops into two breakaway regions of eastern Ukraine after announcing he would recognize their independence. We're on the ground in Kiev, Ukraine with NBC reporter Matt Bradley. Remember, Vladimir Putin gets what he wants simply by not doing a full invasion. He can destabilize Kiev. He can cause uh, Ukrainians to lose faith in their government, and he can damage them at the pump in the pocketbook. And work, play, why decide? Marriott CEO Tony Capuano says most travelers aren't picking sides. We don't think travel and demand broadly will be diminished, but it may look a little different. People are doing more and more blending of trip purpose. Those stories plus dirty money at a Swiss bank, Elon Musk's spat with the SEC, an ode to tequila. This is CNBC, we gotta do it all. Renaissance, uh, man, I guess. Uh, We're trying, right? It's Tuesday, February 22nd, 2022. Squawk Pod begins right now. Stand Andrew by in three, two, one, cue Andrew. Good morning and welcome to Squawk Box right here on CNBC. I'm Andrew Ross Sorkin along with Joe Kern. Becky's off today. We start today with the situation in Ukraine. Russian President Vladimir Putin ordering peacekeeping troops into two breakaway regions in the eastern part of that country after announcing yesterday that he would recognize their independence. This raises fears that Russia is paving the way for an attack. Ukrainian President Zelensky, in a live TV address at 2 a.m. local time, urged his country not to panic, saying, we are on our own land, we are not afraid of anything or anybody. As of this Tuesday morning, the White House is calling Russia's moves into the Donetsk and Luhansk People's Republics an invasion. President Biden signed an executive order imposing sanctions targeting those Ukrainian regions, prohibiting new investment, trade, and financing from anyone in the U.S. Other world leaders are also ratcheting up their responses to Russia. The 8,970th meeting of the Security Council is called to order. The UN Security Council held a rare nighttime emergency meeting yesterday following a request from the US, Ukraine, and several other countries. I invite Ms. Rosemary DiCarlo, Under Secretary General for Political and Peacebuilding Affairs, to participate in this meeting. The Secretary General considers the decision of the Russian Federation to recognize the independence of certain areas of the Donetsk and Luhansk regions to be a violation of the territorial integrity and sovereignty of Ukraine and inconsistent with the principles of the Charter of the United Nations. The European Union is working on a package of sanctions. Germany is pulling the plug on the Nord Stream 2 pipeline designed to bring natural gas from Russia directly to Europe. German Chancellor Olaf Scholz spoke to reporters. 
calling for a reassessment. With regard to Nord Stream 2, I have asked the Federal Ministry of Economics to uh, look at the, to withdraw the report on the security of supply with the Federal uh, Networks Agency. It sounds a bit technocratic, but this is the first necessary step to make sure that this pipeline cannot be certified at this point in time. And without this certification, Nord Stream 2 cannot operate. U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken is set to meet with Ukraine's foreign minister today at the State Department. We get into all of this today with Squawk Box anchors Joe Kernan and Andrew Ross Sorkin. I looked at, at the way newspapers are, have a hard time sometimes with, with headlines, uh, Andrew, exactly how to say it. So the journal went with orders troops to Ukraine's east. Uh, the Washington right. Post went with uh, peacekeeping in, in quotation marks, orders peace into Ukraine. It's hard to, to say exactly what the headline is. Uh, Putin orders forces into eastern Ukraine. I was actually looking at a, a story written this morning, I'm trying to find it again, that even the White House is grappling with, do you call it, how do you exactly verbalize what we're seeing and, and do we even know how to characterize it at this point? We don't know what the future holds at this point. Not an invasion We don't yet. know what the future holds, but. But the futures appear to have turned around this morning off of a headline that says the Ukraine president, this I was surprised by, says we believe that there will be no war against Ukraine and there will be no wide escalation, which goes at, which is completely at odds, frankly, with I think where a lot of people woke up this morning. You can look at the whole continuum of what Vladimir Putin is thinking. And I've heard, you probably have too, I've heard the worst case scenario, scenarios that it's all of Ukraine, and then we don't even know where from there. I've heard others, you know, on the other side of the continuum is he incrementally adds to, uh, you know, what, what uh, Russia's presence in the Ukraine with these two breakaway regions and destabilizes, it, you, know, you know, thwarts NATO's plans, uh, at least for the near term, about whether the entire country becomes part of NATO. The, you, you talked about China. We're going to let the, China was going to let the or Putin and, and with his unholy alliance, they're like BFFs all of a sudden with with President Xi. Right. So so he holds off on that. And then now China supposedly cheering them on. I, what do we call this? A unholy alliance, a Comic-Con, Comic convention. That's that's a actually that's comics, isn't it? Out, out there. But what does this mean as, as she watches Putin for Taiwan? And Kyle Bass brought that up a couple of weeks ago. Russia's in a good place right now, uh, uh, even if even if we sanction them and shut them down. Uh, China is in a horrible place, right? They are short energy, short food, short basic materials, and they have to have dollars to buy them. So I guess what I'm heartened by is the roadmap of sanctions in Russia as it applies to uh, China if China decides to move militaristically on Taiwan. Is that all in play now, too, depending on how the world reacts to this because we're already seeing some breaks in, in well, the Taiwan, sanctions. Taiwan, unfortunately, was in play from the, I, I mean, it was, has been in play for two or three, two years. I mean, I, look, she has said what he said he's going to do in Taiwan, and I, I don't disbelieve him. Uh, I've always thought that he, he, he treats uh, Taiwan, he, he thinks it's, 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 like, uh, it's like Israel and Palestine. He, he thinks it's his. So there's, that, that's just what, and then the question is, how is the rest of the world going to react and I think you're already starting to see the rest of the world react splintering, if you will, right. in terms Cracks. of how they're Italy, Italy, 90 percent of Ukraine. their gas. Yeah. And Germany, it's like, well, we're not thrilled, but uh, let's wait and see before. You know, th they have 
a vested interest in, in not in what happens, but in, you know, it, it, in a cold winter, you want Russia gas to continue. Uh, you know, it's only February 22nd. We've got a couple of cold months left. I don't know. Let's, you, should we go? To, let's get to Matt uh, Bradley. Let's go to let's Ukraine. Go live, live to Ukraine. NBC's Matt Bradley uh, joins us now. Matt, I, I know you're waiting patiently. Um, just give us your insight on what you think is, is likely to occur or what's happened so far. Yeah, I mean, so far what we've been hearing, guys, is is different things, of course. As you mentioned, uh, Vladimir Zelensky, the president of Ukraine, coming out and saying he doesn't think there's going to be sort of like a true invasion. Um, but some would argue that the invasion is already happening, that these peacekeepers that are about to be sent in or maybe have already been sent in, uh, depending on which TikTok account you're following, um, that, you know, that maybe this is something that's already occurring. But the thing that we see on the ground here when I speak with Ukrainians they see themselves as having already been at war with with Russia for the past eight years, since 2014. Remember, guys, 14,000 Ukrainians have died since 2014 in that fighting, mostly uh, fighting against Russian-backed separatists. Now, it's always been clear to Ukrainians that Russia has regular military forces inside those separatist enclaves. They're providing materiel and logistics and support. So to them... This isn't necessarily a new thing, and that's probably where you're getting that line from President Vladimir Zelensky of Ukraine. But then that's the line that he's been hewing to this entire time. He has been diminishing the prospects of an invasion, even as the temperatures and the shouting and the alarmism increases from Washington and London. This has been his line. So it's not surprising that he's going to take any opportunity, like today's relatively quiet atmosphere, to say once again... We are not at risk. Because I got to tell you guys, in terms of economics, the Ukrainians feel as though they are carrying the weight of this invasion, that they are literally paying the price for an invasion that hasn't yet occurred. They're already seeing rating agencies downgrading their bonds, uh, investors threatening to pull out airplanes, uh, canceling flights to Kyiv. So for them, this is basically Russia doing its dirty work without firing a single shot. So it's very frustrating for Ukrainians, and they want to believe that there won't be an invasion, um, they might be right. Because again, it's such a fine line. How do you decide if that's an invasion when really for a lot of Ukrainians, this war has already been going on? But I'll tell you one thing, guys. One of the things that was so interesting from that speech last night from Vladimir Putin, you know, he didn't hit so much on his usual bugaboos about NATO expansionism, which he just thinks is very threatening to Russia's security, about instability in the east of the country, which, you know, he did mention these things. But his main point was this sort of irredentist ideological historical element, this idea that Ukraine was founded by Russia and that it doesn't enjoy a right to its own independence. That's the thing he seemed to harp on in this kind of rambling speech. And that's the thing that makes it look as though he may be bringing soldiers out of the Donbass regions, those separatist enclaves, and take over the rest of the country and move on the capital Kiev. Because he thinks that Ukraine is just a little brother of Russia. And this is something that Ukrainians, this attitude is something that Ukrainians have been grading under for centuries. Guys? And not historically correct, or at least a lot of people immediately pushed back on, on that and said it's, you know, 500 years ago, Ukraine, Ukrainian people, that's like a ridiculous uh, sort of, of, of assertion. So I wonder, and you point out that Ukrainians have felt that they've been under uh, kind of assault for years and years, and you go all the way back to what was the beginning, Matt, do you think, Crimea? And, and could it be done in this 
piecemeal fashion where he's content to go to these two regions and uh, consolidate that in, into Russia with, with Crimea, and then it might be a matter of years or b before he goes further, or is, what do, do we call it, Kiev now, or is Kiev weeks or months away from being, is it weeks or months away from being under? Uh, uh, you know, <laughs> your guess is as good as mine. I'm going to go ahead and say that anybody who says they know what Vladimir Putin is going to do next has no idea. And I certainly don't. Well, I think I do think it's quite a possibility, as you're saying, that we could sort of see this uh, like death by a thousand cuts where Vladimir Putin gradually escalates the situation and sort of that, you know, the metaphor of the frog boiling in water, um, you know, this this gradual movement. But that's how the fighting in the front line has been for the past eight years. There's been it's trench warfare. There's been very little uh, movement of troops in the line of control has remained basically static for much of the past eight years, even though there's been regular exchanges of fire, truces, and then no truces, ceasefires. This is how it could continue to go on, but just with the presence of Russian troops. Remember, Vladimir Putin gets what he wants simply by not doing a full invasion. He can destabilize Kyiv. He can uh, cause uh, Ukrainians to lose faith in their government, and he can damage them at the pump in the pocketbook by essentially causing, causing foreign investors who had been very interested in this dynamic country to withdraw their money. You know, the old adage, uh, capital is cowardly. Nobody wants to uh, invest in a country uh, with the Russian military, with the first world military, the second largest military in the world, breathing down their necks. So in a way, if he wants to weaken Ukraine, he can do it very, very gradually, and he can succeed that way. Guys? Hey, Matt. Matt, we're running a headline, and this goes back to what you were talking about earlier, but I just want to get your thoughts on it. Ukraine President uh, Colin, we believe there will be no war against Ukraine. And that appears, if you look at a chart, when that comment came out, to have moved the futures in terms of the stock market uh, pretty materially. It sounds like you're suggesting we should be discounting that comment. Guys, I'm not suggesting anything. I have to be very, very clear. I cannot predict the future, particularly not in this situation. And I can't uh, I can't tell you how markets are going to move in reaction to individual comments from leaders. I will say that the president Zelensky has hewed to that line from the beginning that this invasion, if there's something, if something goes on, it's not going to be crippling. Right. Uh, if there is a massive invasion um, that it's that Ukrainians will fight back. He has been extremely optimistic. And that's not necessarily just out of hubris or defiance. I think it's because, and this is something you see from the president's office on down to your average Joe in the street, they are just used to it. This is a situation that they've been living under for the past eight years. And again, right. I'll repeat it again, 14,000 Ukrainians have been killed in the last eight years. So this is a, a war that has started long ago. And they don't see this right. as necessarily a new thing as, as the rest of the world does. And that's right. why... They've actually betrayed their frustration with the foreign media and foreign diplomats for raising these alarm bells over and over again, because, again, they're paying the price for a war that they think hasn't happened or has already occurred years ago. Matt Bradley in Ukraine, we appreciate uh, your reporting this morning. Stay safe. We hope to talk to you again very, very soon. This National Margarita Day, which I did not factor that in did, to my... You did not know? I did not know, and I'm, I'm grappling with Tuesday, National Margarita Day. Just trying, is it possible to have like a one-shot a one margarita? 
uh, instead of a, a six-shotter, do you think? Uh, how no. do you make them? Uh, no, and- no. I had a margarita on Saturday. I was trying what to about celebrate today? in advance. What about today? What about today? What do we do? Do we push it off, say, okay, I'm going to celebrate it this weekend? What do we do? That's, that's what I'm grappling with. And especially, you know, I'm a little bit worried about World War III, so I could use one. What do you think? I'll get you, I think, some margar- a margarita with some salt on the rim and maybe, mm. maybe some guac and chips, I think, mm. is what's maybe needed today. Sounds good. At an early hour. Coming up on Squawk Pod, a peek inside the global travel industry with Marriott CEO Tony Capuano. Thursdays and Sundays, those shoulder nights, are essentially back to where we were in 2019, which I think reflects folks are saying, I'm going to take a business trip, I'm going to extend it through the weekend and do a little bit of this blending of travel. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. You're listening to Squawk Pod from CNBC. I'm Joe Kernel, along with Andrew Ross Sorkin. Did I miss your birthday? It was a weekend. It was a week. I was hoping to get just past it. It was. It was. It was a. It happened over the weekend. Forty. You want to sing or something? Or happy birthday, Andrew. Thank you. COVID policies that easing somewhat, changing around the world. UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson lifted remaining restrictions in England. Uh, In California, Governor Gavin Newsom announced plans to move the state to a, quotation marks, next phase uh, in an effort uh, to live with the uncertainty of COVID and potential new variants. The world's largest hotel chain, Marriott, is seeing some bounce back and how, uh, not just for uh, its stock price, which we will talk about, but travelers eager uh, to move past the worst of the pandemic. And Marriott CEO Tony Capuano, joins us now. And when I say joins us now, I really mean he joins us now. Welcome to the NASDAQ. And I, Good to be back. We haven't had guests in quite a while, uh, no. and it's great to have this, uh, to have you today on this important day, National Margarita Day, which I met. <laughs> but it's also, you're, it's exactly a year since you were announced. That's right. As a the year ago CEO. today, I had the privilege to uh, be appointed CEO and succeed Arnie. It's been an unbelievable year, but it's been the backside of some tough years, uh, and it's been getting better and better day by day. So, so I wouldn't say it's been a tough year for you, but it's been a lot for you to, to try to um, navigate. It has, but the good news is travel is coming back. Uh, the fourth quarter, we shared some really encouraging statistics, both about the resilience of travel and the resilience of our business. Uh, revenue per available room in the fourth quarter was only down 19% versus where we were in 2019. 
And in terms of momentum, that was a 40-point improvement from where we were in the first quarter of 21. The stock itself has been to all-time highs. Mm -hmm. and, and obviously, we haven't seen uh, the, the underlying business match pre-pandemic levels yet. But that's the way the stock market works. But uh, in 2022, which, which you, uh, 2021, you just finished, right, with $1.30 above expectations. But still, $3 and change versus pre-pandemic, $6 mm -hmm. uh, of earnings power, which I think you'll get back to quickly. But the stock's already at, just came off all-time mm -hmm. highs. How does that work? Well, I think that, you know, the, as you know well, the, the markets determine the valuation of the stock. But I think the performance of the stock reflects broad confidence in the rebound in travel. There are deep pockets of pent-up demand. As we see, you talked a little bit about mask mandates. As we see more and more markets open, even some of the markets that were most restrictive, Australia, New Zealand, the Cayman Islands, as those markets open, we see quick and, and impressive spikes in demand. And I think the market recognizes that, that the resilience of travel is something that's pretty, pretty powerful. But I think of, when I think of Marriott, I think of global travel. I also think, should I think less of business travel? And, and we, there are question marks about both of those. And especially with this latest geopolitical news. And then I think about you've got a huge uh, presence in China. Mm -hmm. And I don't know what the future holds for, for all those things. If I depend on Marriott stock, it's very positive. We're going to have a resurgence right. of international travel. We're not going to close down travel to Russia, to, to China. And we're all going to get along and be a, a big global community again, hopefully. Yeah, well, there's a lot in that question. There I think as it relates to, to business travel, there have been all sorts of forecasts that uh, business travel will be forever uh, diminished. And I think our perspective when we look at the data, we don't think travel and demand broadly will be diminished, but it may look a little different. Uh, people are doing more and more blending of trip purpose. And where we really see that, pre-pandemic, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday nights were the strongest business travel nights. Friday, Saturday were the big leisure nights. And Thursday, Sunday were shoulder nights. If you look at the back half of last year, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, recovering but below 19 levels. Weekends, Friday, Saturday, well above where we were in 2019. But interestingly, Thursdays and Sundays, those shoulder nights, are essentially back to where we were in 2019, which I think reflects folks are saying, I'm going to take a business trip, I'm going to extend it through the weekend, and do a little bit of this blending of travel. On your geographic question, we're in almost 140 countries. Uh, there are complexities in each of those countries. Uh, China has been tough. It's the only country in the world or region in the world where we didn't see sequential quarter over quarter improvement in revenue per available room, principally because they continue to pursue this zero COVID policy. The, um, the pent up demand is I can feel it. I, I can feel it because it's, I've got pent up right. demand and, and everyone does. So, OK, that's going to uh, exhaust itself uh, at some point. Will it be will we be left at a higher level of people wanting to travel? Because I, I don't know, they're flush. We haven't the people haven't spent money on other things. Yeah. How long do you expect the, the, the 
halcyon days, if you will, to, to continue? Uh, quite a while. I, I mean, we've seen no slowdown in leisure demand, which has really led the recovery from the pandemic. And the really remarkable thing, we've not seen that. We've seen record levels of leisure demand before international borders have really opened in a wholesale way. And so pre-pandemic, you would have walked the streets here in Manhattan and it would have looked like the United Nations. You would have had visitors to this city from all over the world. Much of that inbound international has not yet returned. And as it does, I think that's another catalyst for growth and demand. Uh, Marriott had to weather uh, the pandemic, obviously, and you did raise, uh, raise some funds. Your, mm -hmm. But your debt level at this point is actually less as a percentage of, of EBITDA than it was prior to the pandemic, but rates might be headed up. Mm -hmm. How's borrowing costs look for you? Well, it, it, yeah. you, have, you have some steps in place to even continue to pare down debt this year. That's exactly right. And, and as you heard in our earnings call, we reduced our debt by nearly a billion dollars during uh, full year 2021. We've got relatively modest uh, maturities over the next 24 months, and we continue to work back towards uh, um, the sort of debt ratios you, you expected from us pre-pandemic. What's going on with dynamic pricing with, with Bon Voyage? And what, what are people worried about there? Um, it, it, what, what do the changes mean? Why are they, why are they coming? And what are the concerns? Uh, well, I think our guests, uh, there are elements of dynamic pricing they will love. Right? They will love taking advantage of pricing opportunities during softer demand periods. Uh, they will love less some of the premiums uh, that they'll need in terms of redemptions during high demand periods. But as you and I have discussed during previous visits, uh, we do our best, to, and we're not perfect, but we try to thread the needle between guest expectations and the economic realities of our owner and franchise community. As you know, with nearly 8,000 hotels, I think we own 20. Um, so almost the entirety of the portfolio is owned by third-party owners. And dynamic pricing is one of those steps we've put in place to try and help us strike that balance between those two important constituents. Just returning to geopolitical, just for a second, I don't know what, uh, what, we're gonna, what will play out uh, in terms of mm -hmm. Russia and Ukraine, but I, I know that at this point, uh, President Xi seems to be aligned uh, with, with Putin on a lot of mm -hmm. these things. You, you have a lot, you've, you've got a lot on the line in China. We do. We've got about 400 open hotels today, another 400 in the pipeline behind well, that. What would happen if, if Taiwan was next, do you think? It's a great question. I think uh, many of my neighbors in Washington are trying to sort that out right now. Nobody knows. Nobody knows. It is interesting, though, in China, um, you know, almost the entirety of our portfolio is Chinese-owned. The vast majority of the associates working in our hotels are Chinese. And so in, from that perspective, I think we are very much viewed as, as a Chinese company um, for those consumers. I don't think they look at us as a purely American company. And that's one of the benefits of our business model. Well, I'm hoping that Marriott, that, that the stock is indicating that, that all these things are, are manageable, hopefully. Let's uh, hope so. Let's hope so. And as I said, great to, to I think you might be one of the first guests to be back. back well, in I appreciate you having me back. We're yeah. six feet apart, but uh, it's we a are, lot better that's than fine. remote. Uh, what, did you want to be closer? I can I'll move slide around. <laughs> Cheese will be next. 
Coming up on Squawk Pod, the rest of today's stories that got us squawking. Elon Musk, dirty money, and cashing in on home improvement. The home became everybody's special place during the pandemic. Does it stay that way? Do rising interest rates cause the housing market to slow down? All that right after this. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Demand for energy is projected to continue rising in the future. To help keep up, Chevron is increasing their U.S. oil and gas production. And they're innovating to help do it responsibly across their operations, including their Gulf of Mexico facilities, which are some of the world's lowest carbon intensity operations, helping supply energy that's affordable, reliable, and ever cleaner. That's energy in progress. Learn more at chevron.com slash meeting demand. Stand by, Joe. You're listening to Squawk Pod. His mic, Q. Okay, what about Home Depot? Uh, yeah, that's what we do here. Uh, this is CNBC. We got to do it all. Renaissance uh, men, I guess. Uh, we're trying, right? Renaissance people. We're trying. We're Renaissance tr- people. Uh, good numbers. Stock's up. Uh, up five bucks. Up one and a half percent. Earnings of $3.21 a share was above consensus of three eighteen. Revenue also stronger than expected at $35.7 billion. Also, the company's raising its quarterly dividend by 15%. Where do we stand with, uh, you know, the home became everybody's, you know, special place during the pandemic. Does it stay that way? Do rising interest rates uh, cause the housing market to slow down? Uh, Andrew, they, they also say that- I just hope gonna, that people get out. Get easier. Do, do you hope that people get out and have to spend money on, I just had to look at an airplane ticket, They looking at an airplane ticket or services or going to the movies, or, are, right. are you going to start spending your, if, to the extent that, still special, that people have home any is, money left yeah, home after is still all this special. YOLO spending? Right. Attorneys for Tesla CEO Elon Musk have now accused the SEC of leaking information about a federal investigation in order to retaliate against him for public criticism of regulators. The attorneys didn't specify what information may have been leaked by the SEC. The complaint just coming days after Musk alleged the SEC was engaged in harassment by continually investigating him. So um, an interesting little twist in this, but uh, a lot of, it was not been a lot of back and forth actually, right? He's, they, they went after him, but then he's called them names. I don't know if they've, they haven't publicly called them names, but I'm not sure what information at least was allegedly leaked at this point. He's out there. He's out there opining on everything uh, through Twitter. So, um, and, and, and if you uh, remember, he had a, a very, um, his definition for what the SEC actually stands for was not uh, the most polite. Oh, yeah, that's right. And, and he's been commenting on the truckers and up in Ottawa yep. and, and all, all kinds of, uh, uh, of things. Um, if we won't, uh, but the stock... You know, well off the highs, as you can see there, and down 14 a day, 842. Credit Suisse, 
weird story here facing what about this story this is a story joe it is. It's, they're saying it's all historical, but uh, the, the regulators in Switzerland and the EU are looking into some of their, some of their clients. Uh, leaked data purported to show that the bank had served human rights abusers, corrupt politicians, and businessmen that were under sanctions, and this has been going on for decades, reportedly. Uh, the report says that clients included a spy chief from Yemen that was implicated in torture. Uh, Venezuelan officials involved in a corruption scandal and the sons of former Egyptian uh, dictator Hosni Mubarak. Switzerland's bank regula- uh, regulator confirmed it's been in touch with the bank and said uh, compliance with money laundering regulations has been a focus for years. The bank has denied any wrongdoing and said it strongly rejects the, allocate- the allegations published by dozens of global media outlets that said the matters are predominantly historical. That's what I was referencing. And about 90% of the accounts in the leak had been closed uh, or were in the process of being closed before the media inquiries even began. You want to talk about that, Andrew? I mean, don't, how many bankers do business with uh, all the guys in Saudi Arabia? I mean, couldn't you point fingers at some institutions there? I, I mean, don't think they... I- I don't think you can look at U.S. banks doing that for the most part. I mean, maybe we'd find out it was all done secretly. But the question is, does Credit Suisse now has a reputation problem, but they've had a reputation problem that they're having to grapple with for several years now. The question is sort of how do you get out from under that? And how do you you, how do you change the dynamic at your at a firm and in a country where secrecy laws are the game? Like that is the business. What good is a Swiss bank account if it's not a Swiss bank account? That's the podcast for today. Thank you so much for listening. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. You can find the team all together on CNBC starting at 6 a.m. Eastern or on this podcast, which you can download anytime, wherever you listen. Thoughts, comments? Send us a tweet at Squawk CNBC. We'll meet you back here tomorrow. We are clear. Thanks, guys. When it comes to buying your first home, everyone has questions. Can we even afford to buy a house right now? Well, I need to negotiate. How do I even negotiate? Luckily, a REMAX agent has answers. Hey, Brian, those are really good questions. They are? Thanks. It's my first time buying. I work with first-time buyers all the time. I got you. REMAX agents have more experience than other real estate agents. Visit REMAX.com or download the REMAX app to find the right agent. The right agent can lead the way. Each office independently owned and operated.